We've got five hours to go. Five, uh, five whole hours. I may not make it. We'll see. I will make it. Uh, I got to make it three more, I guess. So then we'll be ready for uh, World Series game number one. We'll have pregame coverage tonight starting at 7 p.m. We'll have the national uh, ESPN broadcast of that. And I know people say, well, why can't you do that? Why can't we have, uh, you know, Ben Ingram? The uh, ESPN folks have the rights to the National uh, World Series broadcast, so uh, we will have that for you starting at 7 o'clock. First pitch just after 8 o'clock this evening. Charlie Morton against Framber Valdez, BJ and Ben, and of course they announced the roster today. Terrence Gore and Kyle Wright are on. Johan Camargo and Jacob Webb are off the World Series roster. So just some of the things making news here ahead of tonight's Game 1 in Houston. It's history. I mean, it's it. It's been it's been a generation since the Atlanta Braves have been in this spotlight of the World Series, and I think we're all excited. I think everybody's thrilled with what's happened here in the postseason so far. Not only the wins, but the moments, the resiliency. Uh, but I do want to make this point, and and Kevin, I want to be. I'm going to get y'all's thoughts on this. I think for so many people, right, getting to the World Series was sort of the the line of demarcation. I've heard Christian say that maybe in today's college football, not that you don't want a national championship, obviously you want a national championship, but kind of the preseason goal is get to the college football playoff. Like the final four in football is revered as much as the final four in basketball. This is just the start. And I think it's been really cool to hear see guys talk about how they're thrilled to be here. They're happy to be here. They're fortunate to be here, but they're not done. Just getting to the World Series was not the goal for the Atlanta Braves. Winning the World Series was is the goal for the Atlanta Braves. And I think you can get caught up in uh, the pageantry and the tradition and have reverence for it. It's the World Series, but also understand that you're four wins away from a world championship. And I think that's the ultimate goal for this franchise, for this team. But how are you guys feeling? I mean, I've had a terrible kind of uh, – uh, ability to forecast what Atlanta's about to do. How are you guys feeling a couple of hours out from, from opening pitch? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very anxious, uh, but I'm uh, very, very excited too. I think, BJ, sometimes we forget, you know, we want to look past what it took for the Braves to get here. What it took, what it took for the Braves to get here is bigger than just 2021. When it started back, what, in 2018, Kevin, when uh, Alex you know, uh, was in that front office, he started orchestrating a team that was, you know, on track to head back to the World Series. Now, obviously, Everybody got to say those type things when you get when you become a new general manager. Saying we we what he took over in that front office was and and for what he is now, what he's done with it is remarkable. But I've you know obviously you see what jo- how Jock Peterson feels about the team. You've seen uh you've seen uh the videos of of Soler you know uh in the batting practice. You you see uh you know BJ. You talk about a guy like Freddie Freeman. It's it's storylines galore, right? But the Braves had to beat the Dodgers to get here. Like you beat the Dodgers. To get here, it's not like you went up against a slouch team. No, you went up against arguably, you know, de- definitely the best team in the National League, taking that away from the Braves. But the Braves earned this. Not they, 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 they got here. No, they earned the right to be here. It took them, haven't been there since 1999. It took them four years to get back. They did it without Ronald Acuna Jr. You talk about the new additions. Everything up until this point has worked. And to still be in the World Series when Ronald Acuna Jr. was out for the season, how many, how many teams can say that? How many teams can say I can go out there and win without my best player? How many teams can say that one of my starters, uh, you know, uh, in the NLCS was a rookie last year in Ian Anderson? So it's so many guys that have contributed, 
and you look at the Eddie Rosarios of the world and, you know, and what he's meant to this team, 14 hits, you know, in the playoffs, I just think for me, BJ, you should be excited and you should be hopeful in, in, in the fact that this team has won in an unconventional way. This team does things that nobody else does in the major, you know, in, in the MLB. This team might not have the best, you know, Kevin, you know, uh, you know, it might not have the best pitchers, but for, for the far superstars for the Braves, oh, these guys are superstars for the Braves. They might not be superstars in the MLB, but for what the Braves need, they're they're superstars. Yep. So I, I just think that the Braves have earned it. They should be confident. They should be convinced. And but they but once again. Uh, they finally got, got got past those pesky dodges, yeah. uh, Kevin. Now they got to deal with these uh, pesky Astros. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I, I feel confident uh, going into a a, a postseason. Again, I'm not, I said it yesterday. I'm not saying chalk up the World Series, but I feel confident in the way this team plays baseball that they're going to to be in it and have a chance to do it. I don't I don't think uh, we'll necessarily see a team that is going to give up 11 runs in the first inning. And be out of it before before it's all said and done. That's not the way this team plays. And quite frankly, uh, to go along with what Ben said, go read Jock Peterson's piece in the Players Tribune. Wonderful piece, saying, "Look, I came over to the Braves, and I looked around the clubhouse, and remember, Jock Peterson got there shortly after the Ronald Acuna injury, and he said, "Look, this is in the same clubhouse I remember playing against. These guys look kind of sad, kind of down." And he said he went with uh, Stephen Vogt and said, "Hey, we got to change it. We got to we got to be upbeat, have a little fun out here, and, and get things going." And he said, "Credit Alex Anthopoulos and and the front office for putting a team together uh, that can that can win games." And he, he told stories about being on the buses, and, and hey, he was on the pitcher's bus, and they go, "What are you doing on here, man? This pitcher's bus." He goes, "I'm riding with the guys that just might be." He used some some colorful language that are going to bring us to World Series, and he goes, "A lot of people don't think we can do it, but we just might be the." the guys that can get it done and you look at since that trade deadline the Braves have been the best team in Major League Baseball people talk about this all the time uh and they say oh you you beat Milwaukee Milwaukee cruised to the Central Division League they won so many games wasn't even close the Dodgers won almost 20 games more than you did doesn't matter now you're oh it's the Astros well put together franchise on the vindication route uh to prove that they aren't cheaters blah 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 this team's better than all of that. Since the trade deadline, the team that they have currently constituted has been the best team in baseball. I think you should be confident. Now, does that mean it's going to be four games to none? No. Does that mean I think this team has a really good chance to win? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I feel confident in the lineup they put out there. I feel confident in the pitching staff they put out there. And if you just watched the way the bullpen performed and maybe – Luke Jackson can say, oh, it's not the Dodgers. I can actually go pitch against somebody. The The entirety of the bullpen has been really, really good. And if you're going to tell me that this this pitching staff, this team has held a offensive team like the Dodgers to two and three runs most of the time in that series, they do that to the Astros. The Braves are going to have an excellent chance to go out there and, and win ball games here in this World Series. No, I like y'all's perspectives. I mean, I think this is a team that should feel like they have the momentum. This is a team that should feel like they can take the field and, and and compete with anybody. I mean, I know we all get caught up in the bright lights of the World Series, and, and, and understandably so, but the Braves aren't here to just kind of smile and, and take pictures. And and I think you're going to see a, a motivated team tonight. I think you're going to see an aggressive team tonight. I think Atlanta will try to, as we saw in the Dodgers series, get on the board early and get that offensive momentum going. But I wanted to ask both of you, because, Ben, you brought it up. You talked about Freddie Freeman, the storylines, and – Kevin, you can blame me. I'm already putting 
uh, talking points into all-time context here before the start of game one. But I think it's been really interesting to follow the national media coverage of kind of the storylines of the two teams. And I've, I've, I've seen some stories along the lines of Freddie Freeman's moment, Freddie Freeman's legacy. And I know that once this series is over, you're going to have to get to the contract talks and all like that. But in the past, Kevin, we've, we've, we've asked you about Freddie Freeman being a Hall of Famer, and there's been kind of a, kind of a mixed response. You know, may, maybe, maybe not. You're right there. Is, is, is this enough if current production continues? Or does he need to win the World Series? Does he need to have a moment or two in this World Series? Where is kind of Freddie Freeman uh, in the all-time annals of history type talk with the Braves in baseball entering his first World Series. Well, I think everybody knows he is a excellent player. Maybe in the conversation for the best first baseman uh, in the National League, you could make an argument for maybe uh, a Goldschmidt or somebody. But he is right there, and I, I would put him there as the, the best first baseman in the National League. Ben has said it on multiple occasions. Great players play in the regular season. Legendary players and legacies are built in the postseason. And so, yeah, if you're Freddie Freeman, you might be on a Hall of Fame track. But if you play well in this series, I think that shores a lot of things up. You bring home a championship, uh, certainly in the city of Atlanta. Uh, you have been an Atlanta lifer. And again, for all the folks that have expressed concern, like, oh, why haven't the Braves signed? Look, four more wins, and Freddie Freeman can probably write his own contract. I mean, the, the price is going up. There's no, there's no, there's no question uh, with what he's been able to do. But, yeah, Freddie Freeman, to me, uh, is on a Hall of Fame track. You add a World Series ring to that. I think that uh, go along with an MVP. I think that really puts you into some rarefied air there uh, when you're talking about a legendary career. And, to me, he is the backbone of this team. Ronald Acuna is the heart and soul of the team. Freddie Freeman is the backbone uh, of the team when Ronald Acuna is there. Uh, you know, I think we've seen guys pick that up. Jock Peterson's been kind of that uh, – that energy lift that the Braves needed. Ozzie Albies has been there. But Freddie Freeman is the backbone of this team. And, again, if they get this done, he's a big reason why. Got a big qu quick question for you. Uh, our old pal, our old chum, Cody Queen, sent me a question. So I'll ask you. He said, what is your biggest concern for the Atlanta Braves coming into this series? Well, for me, it's it's when you look at the Braves' opponent, and good to hear from Cody, uh, I, I think – and. Uh, I, I think it's the the depth and length of the Astros lineup. Uh, that's what that's what worries me, and that's been one of the strengths for Atlanta, right? Is it's not just Freddie Freeman, it's not just Ozzie Albie's. It's your five, six, seven, eight hitters can can do damage, and I think uh, that's what worries me. If I'm talking to you guys and Cody, Cody about this matchup is that I think Houston has not one or two guys offensively, not two or three guys offensively, but that depth in production that makes them really dangerous at all times. Like Kevin, I don't think you I don't think you make it through the first four and all of a sudden you take a deep breath and you exhale and no, I think the pressure that Houston puts on you is relentless offensively. And that for me is kind of what what worries me from Atlanta's perspective. What worries me about Atlanta is, is it was is uh, what always worries me about them is not playing loose. When Atlanta's when Atlanta's playing their best, Kevin, they are having fun in the book they are having fun in the dugout. They are having fun before the game. They are a different type of team. They, I, throw away, throw away all this traditional. Hey man, let's just let's just go about business as usual. No, have fun, man, and and don't and don't be happy because you finally made it to the World Series. Got that money? No, you want to win it, and 
And and there's something about like you know what when you ask somebody, hey man, did you win the World Series? No, we lost. Well, that the team that beat us was the World Champ. Like we're we're here. And if you ask the Houston media, you know what they saying, man? This this Braves team is dangerous. They're very very dangerous. The whole world just saw what they did against the Dodgers. The whole world just saw it. So if you you don't you think people want to pitch the Rosario right now? Nope. But they gonna have to. They can't walk him every time at bat. So. For me, what scares me is them not being themselves, Kevin. And you know, what we love about the Braves is they actually have personalities, not just a personality through what you know on the team. So be yourself, you know, you you here, and we don't want to do this. Well, if you lost, if you lost, you make no no forget all that. You are at your best when you are having fun, when you're doing these memes after the game, dancing in the <laughs> locker room. Have fun, man. We yep. don't listen. Let's knit more Ron Lacuna Jr. when you talk about personality. <laughs> I was I was going to say that one concern would be complacency. My, my on-field concern will be the first appearance of Luke Jackson. See how he comes out of the bullpen handling what happened with the Dodgers. See if he's back to the Luke Jackson we had before. But always good to hear from uh, from Cody. Of course, he had to text in because he's not allowed to talk on the show. We don't allow him to do that. We'll come back. <laughs> We've got more to come here on 3 Now We'll talk to, uh, to Dan Matthews. Uh, 11 Live in Atlanta. We'll look at this Braves team as they get ready. He's actually in Houston for game one. Tonight he will join us when we return. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Game one tonight, Braves and Astros from Houston. First time the Braves have been in the World Series since 1999. Our next guest, a... Uh, the producer of the Chuck Oliver Show, the contributor to 11 Alive there in Atlanta. Dan Matthews joins us here on uh, 3 and Out. Dan, welcome. How are you? Very well, guys, and uh, well done with the uh, return from break right there with the ZZ Top and the hometown of ZZ Top here in Houston, Texas. Hey, we, that's, we, that's well hey, done. Hey, we love ZZ Top here on the show. I understand you are a Houston native, Dan, so uh, tell us about it. Uh, there, Houston, been in the World Series a couple of times here recently versus a team that hasn't been there in, what, 21 years, 22 years. Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, kind of funny when you look at the path of both of these organizations. And I would say that the Braves were probably three years behind what the Astros did. Uh, but uh, remember, you know, both of these teams kind of mired in just awful baseball for a few years in order to be able to get back to competing for a chance to be in the postseason and win in the postseason. I mean, the Astros just completely stripped it down in the early 2010s by trading away Lance Berkman and Roy Oswalt and Hunter Pence and all those players that they had and had to take it on the chin for a few years. And we saw the Braves do the same thing uh, with everybody, really, except for Freddie Freeman. And uh, now we've got an opportunity to see the work of Alex Anthopoulos and this Braves organization to uh, be able to, as you mentioned right there, get back to the World Series and uh, try to do something they haven't done in even a longer amount of time, over 25 years since they won that that first uh, world title. And, Dan, you have a good perspective on both teams. Uh, when you look at this matchup, where do the advantages lie? Who has an advantage in this series and where? I would say that bullpen, the Braves definitely do with the way that Tyler Matzik has pitched, and I understand that people are upset with Luke Jackson, but Look, until the last couple of games he's been on the mound, Luke Jackson has been absolutely nails for you. So, um, you know, he's he's still somebody that I think Brian Snitker is going to try to look to. Although, you add Kyle Wright to uh, the pitching staff, and I think that that's probably saying we need a, another reliable right-handed option out of the pen because I don't think that 
really you can look to Chris Martin for that right now. And, uh, you know, and Luke Jackson is in a little bit of a funk. But uh, I think there's that. I think the other part of it as well with the Braves, guys, is not really having to switch up the lineup very much and actually adding someone. You get to add Jorge Soler to this, to this lineup now. So that's a huge advantage for them. But, my gosh, is this Astros lineup just from top to bottom just incredibly good. So, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, something that you look at both of these teams and it's really kind of hard to find a decided advantage. Dan, with so many, you know, with both teams coming in with something to prove, obviously Houston trying to get – get past, you know, from the yesteryears and the Braves finally showing that they can go out here and get it done after 22 years. What do you think is the biggest storyline coming into game one? I think that the biggest storyline is that the Braves trying to prove that they belong here. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, it's kind of the narratives that you saw. It was, well, the Brewers didn't hit well enough. Well, you know what? The Braves hit well enough and they beat them. So credit to the Braves. Um, then, you know, you look at, the Dodgers series, and what did we hear? Oh, injuries. Oh, they were tired. That, that's that's their problem. That's not the Braves' problem. So, you know, you look at that as well and just say, you know, finally give some credit where credit's due. And, I, you know, now I think that they're going to have to try to prove that they can. And I think they're hungry to, to try to do that, too. I mean, you see what Jock Peterson wrote today in the Players' Tribune. Uh, they definitely want to show they belong. Dan Matthews joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Dan, you talk about this team. I know Houston's got a, a, a very good lineup. But you talk about the Braves. There's not a, a rest spot in that one through nine now with the DH uh, that you put out there as well. How important is this game one? You got Charlie Morton, seasoned veteran. That's why you signed him was to, to pitch in games like this versus Framber Valdez for the Astros, who's making his first World Series start. Yeah, I mean, it is very important because – I think the most important thing for the Braves right here is send it back at worst to Atlanta one and one. I think if you send it back the way that you played at Truist Park, you got to feel really good about your chance to take this series. So if they can get tonight, huge. If they if they don't get tonight, but then they can get tomorrow, even better. Because like I said, you know it's a chance for you to go home, a place that you've seen that you've got great support, and also too place that uh, you've not lost this entire postseason so until somebody beats you there uh, you got to feel good about playing at home so that's uh, that's what's going to be huge for this team and if the Braves are going to give themselves a great opportunity like you uh, like you said I mean Charlie Morton is is a great chance and then also to Max Freed you got to believe that he really wants to try to uh, uh, bounce back from uh, the rough outing last time out against the Dodgers and Dan, you're you're in Houston right now, Houston native. From the from the Astros standpoint, do they feel like the narratives and talking points have moved on from the controversies of of yesteryear? What's kind of the the vibe, the atmosphere, the mindset around Houston? Uh, it's very much win. I, I think that probably from the fan perspective, I was talking with a buddy of mine that does local radio here in Houston, and he said. We need to win this because if we don't, it's going to start to be the question of are we the 2020s version and, and, and late 2010s version of the Atlanta Braves. Of, they proved they could get there. They, they proved that aside from 1995 that the World Series was tough for them. So I think there's that. As far as the cheating and everything goes, I mean – Oh, man, every single player that stepped into the interview room yesterday was asked about that. And, oh, man, every single one of them said, we're not focused on that. We're focused on 
trying to put together four great games of baseball and to be able to uh, lift the trophy at the end of it. So that's, uh, that's what they said. Um, you know, I, I think, though, too, that part of what's made this team move the last couple of years is the fact that they have played with such a chip on their shoulder, that they have seemingly played well when they've gone on the road and had inflatable trash cans thrown at them and been booed and the, the, the signs and the chants and all these different types of things. It seems like they've kind of really enjoyed that. So I, I think that if, if, if you have that, then use that to your advantage and, and use that to, to motivate you. How ridiculous has, uh, you know, Ada Rosario been? And can he, you know, can he find a way to keep it going? Oh, I, I mean, the Braves are hoping so because he was unreal. I mean, the only other time I think in the postseason that I've seen somebody be on a terror like that, funny enough, playing against the Astros was, I don't know if you guys remember the 2004 NLCS between the Astros when they were in the, when they were in the National League playing against the St. Louis Cardinals. And Carlos Beltran seemingly could not get out for the Astros. If it was home runs, if it was extra base hits, whatever it was, he was delivering for that team. That's what Eddie Rosario was. Uh, in, in the last series against the Dodgers. He was just unbelievable. Even his outs were hard contact. I mean, he was getting on base no matter what. And I loved going back and rewatching the bottom of the fourth inning the other night against the Dodgers where he was down 0-2. And he fought, 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 you know, spoiled off pitches, did whatever. And then Walker Buehler uh, probably got a cutter that he didn't get a good enough cut on and it went right into the barrel of Eddie Rosario. And when you're seeing the ball as well as he is, and you barrel something up like that, you keep it foul, it's going to be good. I keep it fair. Dan Matthews joining us here on 3 and Out. Dan, who is one guy that you think is kind of the linchpin here for the Braves? Like, if, if they have a good series, the Braves are going to do good things. Uh, I think it's got to continue to be Tyler Matzik. I mean, you have called on him to bail you out in so many situations. Wow, has he done it? I mean, I, the best, the best you could hope for the other night was no outs, runners on second, third, and you're thinking to yourself with the Dodgers, this has the ability to be really bad for the Braves. We've seen the Dodgers have innings like this, and it spirals out of control. But he comes in, strikes out the side, much less strikes out Mookie Betts, who doesn't strike out very often, and he didn't just strike him out; he blew it by him. And that's something that doesn't happen very often. And then he comes back out the next inning and gives you a flawless eighth inning, and then you're able to uh, get a flawless ninth inning out of uh, Will Smith to completely end the hopes for the Dodgers. So I think that Tyler Matzik's got to continue. And if he continues because he has been the most consistent option out of that bullpen, if he does, then I think the Braves give themselves a really good shot in this series. All right, Dan, we got to get to it here. Houston native, but you're a very popular Atlanta sports media personality. So how are you handling this emotionally? Uh, I, I give the answer of personally and professionally. I mean, it's not quite, you know, the connection like Clemson and Alabama. But uh, obviously, I mean, I grew up in Houston, as you said. I'm a, I'm a massive Houston Astros fan and, and always have been, always will be. And also, too, I mean, I, I've really come to become a fan of the Braves over the last few years, and I, and I always had been, too. I mean, you know, growing up, uh, I was a corner infielder, and I, I loved Chipper Jones and, and, and Fred McGriff and watching the games with uh, Skip, Pete, and, and, and Joe on TBS and, and being able to root on the Braves that way. So, you know, there, there's the, the personal and then the professional as well that absolutely, you know, with us being the Braves' flagship, it, it, it would be – tremendous for us to be able to uh, ride the momentum of, uh, of having 
uh, the first uh, world champion in the city of Houston. Or, uh, excuse me. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I know. I know. There it is. Freudian slip out on that. But the city of Atlanta uh, in, uh, in, in over 25 years. That would be huge. Dan Matthews, our guest here on 3 Not Dan, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Always great, guys. Sorry I can't see you all this week down in Jacksonville, but uh, hopefully we get you all next year. Absolutely. Dan Matthews, our guest, uh, thanks for joining us. As again, the Braves and Astros coming up tonight. We'll have pregame coverage 7 o'clock. First pitch just after 8. Braves have put the lineup out. BJ and Ben going to start off with Jorge Soler, DH and hit leadoff, Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, Eddie Rosario moves down to the 5 spot. Adam Duvall, Travis Darno, Jock Peterson, and Dansby Swanson. Well, give us some reaction to that, Kevin. I mean, I, to me, I thought entering this, we were going to see Eddie Rosario uh, leading off. But look, Solaire, of course, brings a different dynamic, the power, the incredible power, uh, in addition to just to put the ball in play, that consistent ability. But is that a surprise to you? Um, A little bit, but uh, that's where Solaire was hitting the last three, four weeks of the season uh, and really had a lot of success. Plus, I think, uh, the Braves kind of like the they kind of got used to that Ronald Acuna thing where it's say, hey, right out of the gate, if you make a mistake, it's over the fence, and and that scares people obviously from the jump. And if you don't want to pitch to him, then you get Freddie Freeman right after that. And if you manage to get down in Albies and Riley gets on, oh by the way, you have the hottest hitter in the postseason potentially in the five hole to drive runners in. I mean, so, uh, again, when you you got a guy going like that, get some guys on ahead of him and let him do damage by bringing runs in. I, I think that looks very, very solid. It gives you a good righty-lefty uh, split in the lineup. And, again, to me, there's not a breather uh, in there at all. I know the Astros don't have many breathers, but to me, it's pretty solid, uh, one through nine. Yeah, no, you don't question Brian Snicker on a day whoa, like today. Whoa, whoa, not, whoa, defending Snick. That's right. On a, two, on a Tuesday. The man got the man managed him into a World <laughs> Series. He's got a little something working. We we got more to come here on uh, 3 and Out. We'll switch gears. We'll talk a little uh, Georgia and Florida game coming up on Saturday. We'll chat with uh, Seatric Faison, former uh, All-American running back there at Florida. And he's uh, a 2021 inductee into Florida Georgia Hall of Fame this weekend. So we'll talk to him about that and more. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back to 3 and Out. I am Ben Troop. That is Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett. If you don't know, there's a big game going on this weekend in, in, uh, in Jacksonville known as the Florida-Georgia game. and Georgia-Florida, Florida-Georgia. Well, my next guest is a Florida Gator legend. Listen, got drafted in the fourth round of 2005 by the Minnesota Vikings, played for them Jags, also them Edmonton, you know, Eskimos. But most importantly, a 2021 Florida-Georgia game Hall of Famer, Fletcher High School's own. Seatric Faison, I know I'm a C4. What's going on with you today, C4? What's up, True? Now, C4, listen, man, before I even get into the game, man, I know you the head coach right now at Fletcher, Fletcher's Finest. What was it like getting that call saying, hey, congratulations, Seatric, you have been inducted into the 2021, uh, you know, Florida Georgia Game Hall of Fame. Get to going with that boy, Kiwan Ralph, a.k.a. Rad. Oh man, it was it was a, it was it was amazing. You know, playing in that orange and blue, and you know, just being being from Jacksonville and getting a call that I'd be going in the Hall of Fame and everything. You know, a kid growing up and playing in front of their home crowd, man, it just meant everything. And it's my first Hall of Fame accomplishment, so you know, it's definitely a blessing. Talk about playing in in this game. Obviously, a lot has been on the line uh, it, when you, when you play in Jacksonville, and also a chance for somebody to ruin the other one's uh, season. Georgia comes in number one. What has Florida got to do to to pull off the upset here? 
Man, I think first and foremost, we got to play defense. You know, we play defense. I think we're going to put up points. And, you know, it's it's Florida-Georgia game, and usually we do a good job on taking down a giant when we – when, when, when we're the team that's, that's not favored to win, so I think I think as long as we play defense and play smart football, the outcome will come in our favor. Obviously, to have a big game uh, in this game as a junior, you had 139 rushing yards. What was your mindset like when you got ready to play Georgia, and was it extra special for you to play in the game because you are from Jacksonville? Uh, my mindset, you know, I always knew. In that game, I got to put on for the city. Um, you know, if you play bad, you're going to know that you play bad. If you play well, they're going to let you know, especially when you come home. So my mindset was play well and try to help my team win, but you definitely had to put on for the city. Tifo, when you think about this Florida offense, wasn't able to run the football the first three years under Dan Mullen. They are fourth in the country right now running the football, even though Georgia's defense is second against the run. How much easier – uh, it's the game plan when you can go out there and establish the run. Oh, it's definitely it's 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 way easier. You know when when you can establish the run, it open up the pass, and once the pass works, and you have to play football, man. You can't just stack the box and and stuff like that. So you know the the run game gonna open up the pass, but the pass definitely still keeps the run open. So you know as long as you can run the ball early, establish the pass game, man. I think the running backs will continue to see the good running lanes, especially versus that Georgia defense that you, know, you really got to establish the run versus that defense and, you know, just to keep the secondary honest and the D-line on it. Faison joining us here on 3 and Out. I know it's Anthony Richardson or Emory Jones or Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson. Dan Mullen said they'll both probably play. How did, how did guys in the locker room handle that uh, uncertainty at quarterback? Obviously, I'm, I'm sure guys have a preference one or the other, but how do you deal with that going into a game like this where it's, hey, both guys are going to play, don't know who's going to get the majority of the snaps and things like that? Uh, any, other, any other week, I could say it might be a problem. But, you know, the Florida-Georgia week, man, that's the least of the, the, the guys concerned that's in that locker room. Their, their concern is all about winning. And, you know, those guys are worried about the job that they have to do. I don't think they're getting too caught up in who should be the quarterback. I think they're more worried about – you know, winning this game. And it seems like, you know, you read the the predictions from people around the country. Georgia's not only a favorite, but a pretty heavy favorite. I know you said that's something that that, that y'all took advantage of, those opportunities when you were at Florida. If you're at, if, if if you're on the Gators team now, are you paying attention to all the hype that Georgia's getting and is that extra motivation for you? Uh, not at all. You know, our motivation is mostly, you know, Georgia's Georgia to us, especially when you're a Gator. So there's not much motivation. It's just, man, we're going to treat Georgia like we always treat Georgia. And, you know, back when we played, we felt like we supposed to always beat Georgia. So, you know, there's no extra motivation. And I hope those guys got the, main, the same mindset that we had is, man, it's Georgia and we're supposed to beat Georgia. As long as they got that mindset, I think those guys will do well. I mean, even even sticking with the mindset, C4, you being a running back that understands, I mean, it's all about getting better uh, each quarter. You, I mean, you know, as BJ mentioned, over the 130 yards, you know, your junior year, what is it about the game within the game that you try to be able to go out there and establish yourself, you know, quarter one to quarter four? Well, uh, you know, you, you got to grind, especially versus a good defense. And, you know, they had David Pollock and Thomas Davis and those guys. But I figure if I, if I beat them up early, when it came to third and fourth quarter, 
that, that was my quarter. And, and that's where those guys got. As long as they run hard and you need to – first and foremost, early in the game, you got to run into guys. You can't try to run around guys. And then you, you, you give them hope that, oh, this guy ain't going to try to run hard. But as long as you're running into guys early, when you get to that third and fourth quarter, they're going to – okay, they're going to question themselves whether they want to hit you or not. So that's what those guys got to do. They got to – you know, they got, they got to bring some power at the beginning of the game so that third and fourth quarter could go a little easier. Patrick Faison joining us here on 3 and Out, and we, we always enjoy asking players about just this game and the unique setting, uh, where it's, you know, split down the middle 50-50, and you don't really get a another game environment like this in college football, and certainly not in bowl games, not even in the playoffs. Do you get it where it's truly 50-50? Uh, just speak to... Playing in that game, and for guys who are playing in this thing the first for the first time, what that experience is like, and what they might be walking into here. Oh yeah, I tell you, you know, you I tell I told somebody yesterday, you know, when you get on that bus ride, man, and as you're coming from Gainesville to Jacksonville, the, the players ask you about the game, especially young guys. The first thing you do is tell them, man, it's going to be the prettiest sight you see in football because nowhere else you see it like that, and that's that fifty-fifty split is, man, just. Just everything, and it brings that much of motivation out, man. But it's definitely the prettiest sight in football. And, you know, for that game, you know, it's always great to run out the tunnel. But when you play in Florida, Georgia, it's always great to see see that sea of red and that sea of orange and blue. So I can say that's definitely a sight to see, and, and it's a memorable moment. All right, here's what we all want to know. We're going to change the subject a little bit because Ben Ben was in here before the interviews talking about how, how great of a blocker he was. And we all know that he had the big catches, but he said, hey, man, Seattle was putting up huge numbers. I was out in front laying out blocks. Describe Ben Troop the blocker when you guys were at Florida. Hey, my boy, my, my boy definitely blocked. You know, hey, he probably underrated as a blocker, but I know as long as I was running the ball, I, I was fine because me and Troop had a, a different type of relationship. You know, my first day at UF, they put me against Troop when he was, and we was doing a drill, and I was like, man, y'all tried me with a tight end. And then he actually beat me in the drill, and ever since that day, me and my boy was tight. So, you know, anytime I got the ball, I knew I could depend on running around his edge. And I knew if I broke in the open field that he was going to be behind me to probably block anything that was trying to chase me down. So I definitely give my boy credit for his blocking skills. Now, Cifo, it wasn't one run in particular that uh, that uh, BJ is talking about. You remember the first play from scrimmage out, you know, coming out of the halftime against Arkansas. I said, Cifo, man, listen, let's go ahead and take it to the crib so we can be one and done. Could you tell uh, Kevin and BJ what happened on that play, please? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, Troop challenged me right before we went out to halftime, and he was like, uh, hey, man, let's be one and done. You ain't did nothing all game. You know, they call Cedric Cobbs looking like the real C4, and I say, hey, Troop, you just tell the coach to put me in first and give me the ball, and we're going to score. And, hey, he blocked this man. I just had to get by the back and ran by the back, and it was off the races. So, you, 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 you definitely you, you definitely turned the game around with that comment. <laughs> And C4, man, listen, I, I, listen, I'm super-duper proud of you and Kiwan getting inducted to the Florida-Georgia Game Hall of Fame. I was blessed enough to get inducted in in 2016. I know what it's like for you being a guy that, you know, Fletcher High School, Jacksonville's, uh, you know, one of the Jacksonville's greatest. I don't, I know what that feeling is like, man, but I'm super-duper happy for you, man. You are C-Minute forever in the greatest game in college football. And I appreciate that, big brother. It's definitely a blessing. Patrick face on our guest here on 3 Now. Patrick, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. And again, congratulations. Thank y'all for having me. Appreciate Patrick Faison joining us here on 3 and Out. And Ben said, quote, I got my one block 
and I ran down the field with my number one up in the air, chasing him the whole way. I mean, at the end of the day, when I was at the combine, they were like, Ben, what type of block would you expect? Turn on the, turn on the Arkansas film, not the Arkansas tape, the Arkansas play, and then I'll be able to show you what can happen. Listen, if you want, you want to score in a running game, now put me on the backside and on the front side if they don't expect me. No, I mean, no, I think at the end of the day, Kevin and, uh, you know, uh, BJ, C4 is one of those guys where I'm just really, really happy for him because I don't know how much pressure it is being from Florida 45 minutes down the road I mean, being from Jacksonville, 45 minutes down the road from Gainesville and having that much pressure on you. But like he said, if you're from Jacksonville, if you're a baller, they will let you know. And if you are not, they will let you know. But I'm super-duper happy for C4. Uh, you know, back at Fletcher High School as their head coach right now. And, hey, man, on Friday, you know, uh, he'll, his Hall of Fame induction will be going on. And I'm uh, super-duper happy for him. Yeah, we appreciate him coming on and joining us. Terrence Edwards, uh, Georgia, a legendary wide receiver, will join us. We'll hear from Buck Baloo on the show. And Brandon Seiler, former Gators All-American linebacker, will join us as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. The third annual Georgia-Florida Legends Series coming up on Friday at the Westin on Jekyll Island. Going to be out in the courtyard area, Ben, for uh, the Georgia-Florida Legends Series. We'll broadcast uh, three and out from there on Thursday and Friday. And again, uh, you'll have a great cast of characters uh, there involved from the, the Georgia-Florida game. We'll be outside in the little uh, courtyard area having a good time. Looking forward to it. I mean, uh, it's going to be star-studded. You know, Washon Ely, Carlos Alvarez, DJ Jones, Jeff Chandler, D. Webb. I mean, Willie McClendon. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, more, I'm you know, most looking forward to the fact that I get a chance to pay homage to the, to the ones that came through this game. As you mentioned, Kevin, it's going to be at the beautiful Western and in, in, in the courtyard. On uh, on Jekyll Island, and it's going to be free to the public. You're gonna get a chance. It's, it's gonna be it's gonna be fan friendly. Everybody come out and enjoy yourself. Gonna be able to take pictures, sign autographs, uh, meet some of these former uh, Gator Grace, some of these former uh, Georgia Grace, and it's gonna be it's gonna listen. The headquarters for Florida Georgia will be at the Western in the courtyard on the tw- on, on Friday. Come out, we should enjoy. It should be a lot of fun, and uh, you know, listen. Uh, second down will be uh going live from there as well as three and out will be going live from there as well that's for people to come uh, get an autograph get a picture and uh looking forward to it but it was nice being over there today such a wonderful uh, location and uh and venue there at the weston it should be a lot of fun i mean listen kevin thomas gonna be in the building christian gonna kill go be in the building I'm just I'm looking forward to having everybody. Listen, listen, the voice, Mark Douglas, will be <laughs> in the building. But no, uh, the third annual Florida Georgia Legend Series. Uh, you know, uh, it's going down on the on listen on Friday at the at the West in the courtyard. Gonna be a you know incredible round table, great discussion. And I'm really looking forward to sitting back and just listening to these guys talk about the moments, yep. talk about the memories, talk about the game. All the truths and all the exaggerations <laughs> that uh, that come out of there. And again, I know uh, the last year was uh, was virtual. First year really, really cool, and uh, folks got to have a lot of fun listening to the stories, just go back and forth here with all the guys gathered to talk about uh, that game. So coming out Friday should be a lot of fun. We've still got more to come here on the show. We'll take three when we come back. Also next hour, Brandon Seiler, former Florida uh, linebacker, and we're talking game one of the World Series coming up 7 o'clock with pregame first pitch just after 8 o'clock tonight there from Houston. Hour number two, take three coming up next here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter. Love to hear from you at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back here. Hour two of three and out. We'll hear from Brandon Seiler, uh, former Gators All-American linebacker here in this hour. Final hour, we'll hear from Terrence Edwards, former Georgia wide receiver and uh, 
Just a legendary career there uh, at the University of Georgia. Also, Buck Blue will weigh in on Georgia-Florida coming up. We'll look at the uh, Game 1 uh, impacts tonight as the Braves and Houston start off the World Series this evening. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But first, let's take three here on 3 and Out. All right, fellas, take one. Bucks wide receiver Mike Evans, I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, gave Tom Brady 600 touchdown pass. He caught it. Ran, got the touchdown, 600 career touchdown. He gave it to a fan in the stands. And for a trade, the team is giving this fan two signed jerseys, a helmet from Tom Brady, a Mike Evans signed jersey, and his game cleats, $1,000 credit at the team store, two season passes for the remainder of the season, and full season passes for 2022. And uh, Tom Brady said on Monday Night Football's Manning cast that he's also giving him a Bitcoin. And one Bitcoin. What would you ask for? Keep in mind, I saw uh, what Pro Football Talk, I think, said that, for whatever it's worth, Tom Brady's 600 touchdown ball would be worth approximately 500 grand. Yeah, and I think I, I think Christian was trying to explain to me the whole Bitcoin idea earlier, and I, I, I wasn't doing a good job of following it, but apparently the approximate value of one Bitcoin is about $62,000, uh, I, I guess. I don't know, you know if that changes, but I, I, I think if I get that football, I would kind of feel obligated to give it back to Brady because it's, it's his moment, right? I mean, it's his past. It's his moment. It's a milestone that is an all-time milestone is it it's it's history i mean i want to i'd want to meet him i'd want to meet him and i think it would make sense for the for the bucks to hook me up with tickets for a couple of years i think that makes sense but i think if i if i met him maybe got like a game used something got it signed got a picture you know just got to talk to him for a few minutes and yes the bucks can hook me up with some tickets for a while i think that would be i think that would be cool but i would a part of me would feel like hey this is you know this is this is Brady's history. I want to meet him, and hopefully the team will do right by me, and I'll get some stuff or whatever. But if you get your picture, you know, have your moment talking with Brady, get the autograph. I think that's pretty cool. And I understand the whole it's worth a half million dollars, but I, I mean, it's it, it's his history. It, it, it's his moment. So I think if I can meet Brady, get a couple of game use things signed, get a picture, I think that would be pretty pretty cool. It is cool. It's just not enough. Okay, uh, you asking me to give you something that you just gave? You asked me to give it back. That was Mike Evans' fault, cause Mike Evans had no clue it was it was uh, touchdown number six hundred. I appreciate Mike Evans' uh, sign uh, game one cleats. I appreciate signed jerseys. No, I want a signed jersey for every. I want a signed jersey of every jersey uh, that uh, Tom Brady's ever worn. New England too. Whatever color scheme it is, I want the blue. I want the white. I want the I want the color rush. I want the pewter. I want the white. I want the cream sickle. I want it all. And I want to be a season ticket holder for life. What? What is it gonna hurt you making sure that? I, am I the most famous Tampa Buck fan of all time? Yep. I. You just made me that. I mean, think about it. Cam Newton gave out a football every time he scored. And hey, man, we're gonna need that back from you. That that fan is very, 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 very nice. Because the thing is, worth worth five hundred thousand. Um, number one, what about Tom Brady giving me a couple of game balls? It ain't more famous than the 600 I, I just gave you. I just think that Tom Brady could do a little more. What's a jersey? No, 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 no. What's a jersey? I want 12 in every color, every team, and I think, and, 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 and maybe, you know, you, you know, you make me a season ticket holder for life. I think that's worth the fact that 
you know, I just gave back probably the most famous football you're ever going to have in Tom Brady's career. What? That's I think there are a few Super Bowl uh, footballs that it's might too be many. Uh, more. Who cares? Who cares about it? He got too many Super Bowls. Who cares? Deion Branch got is a Super Bowl MVP because of Tom Brady. Because it's the thing. How many Super Bowl? I mean, how many uh, how many touchdowns is uh, you know, they, they asked back? That would be one this weekend. So, season ticket holder for life. Every jersey signed. A sit down interview with Tom Brady and maybe a dinner. An with interview. What? You're Tom, adding stuff. Tom, You're Tom, adding Tom, stuff. Tom Brady, Tom Brady is on social media now, BJ. How much social media was he doing in New England? Didn't care. Didn't want to do it. Life wasn't fun. Life is fun now. No, he did apparently ask for a round of golf with Tom Brady, and I don't think he got it, obviously. But also, the, also here. Oh. Yeah, so he gave him a Bitcoin, which, again, is $62,000 approximate value. But if you are a cryptocurrency speculator, there's a lot of people that think if you hold on to that one Bitcoin, at some point, it will be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Kevin, are you a a cryptocurrency? No, I do not own cryptocurrency. Not yet, BJ. That's for another show. Don't ask him about (laughs) cryptocurrency. We're not getting into cryptocurrency. No, I do do not own (laughs) cryptocurrency. But but a lot of people are. A lot of people are into uh, that market and the... The value at sixty-two thousand. I want to say what just earlier this year was like half that. Yeah. Yes. So the longer Bitcoin stays relevant, the more people that get into it, it's going to continue to gain in value. So, did you know you can mine Bitcoin? I won't even blow your mind with that. No, 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 no. He he tried to uh, kind of walk me down that, and I said, "Dude, just stop, just stop." How do you mine Bitcoin? I know. I'm trying to ask BJ. I know what relatively is, about it, but no, I'm not going to. I'm not know. going to explain it. On, no, 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 no. I, I said I. No, okay. I'll be happy to not explain it on the radio, and pseudo explain it for what I know. No, go ahead and explain it, Kevin. Go ahead no, I'm and not going it. to. We actually don't have time. We have to get to take two. But yeah, I think he could have asked for a little more. I don't know if it's on Tom Brady implicitly to like grant a. I mean, he's not doing 60 minutes. He's not doing. Give me an interview, Tom. Oh my no, goodness. I mean, no, Tom can go meet. I agree with BJ's. Like, I get the ball back. Like, come give me, like, hey, what's up? Talk no, 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 no. He no, doesn't no, owe me, like, you, you can't, an you can't. hour sit down. BJ, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say. You have to bring Giselle say, along? No, 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 BJ, I'm not going to say the gift I gave you that I know you would love. If I asked for it back, what would I have to give you in return to get it back? Well, that's a good question because the answer you would get is no. You're not getting it back. All right, moving along. Take, take two. <laughs> Rank the following NFL quarterbacks or NFL draft prospects at the quarterback position. Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, Desmond Ritter, and Malik Willis. Yeah, it's changed some. I mean, I think the and Ben and I disagree a little bit. I, I think there are some questions with Spencer Rattler. I mean, look, at the beginning of the season, you know, going to win the Heisman and going to be the number one overall pick, and he's clearly a very talented quarterback, but you've lost your starting job, and I think there's some uncertainty. Does he even enter the draft, or is he going to grad transfer or transfer whatever and, and, and play somewhere else? I think for me, the number one is Matt Corral. Uh, the proficiency numbers are there. I think the mobility, you know, you look at the modern game, you need the mobility. Matt Corral's been one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the country. This year, he's close to the national lead in rushing touchdowns, can make all the throws. I think Matt Corral would be one. Uh, I would probably uh, probably go Sam Howell, too. I know North Carolina hasn't been great, but he's still uh, putting up points and, and, and having success and throwing the ball around. I, I like I like Desmond Ritter. 
Uh, I think I think he's in my three spot and probably capable of jumping Sam Howell as Cincinnati continues to to play well. Uh, seems to have a great feel for the moment. Always comes through in the clutch for Cincinnati. Uh, I'll put I'll put Willis Ford having a really good year yet again, uh, and then Rattler for me just with the questions. I would I would put fifth. Wow, man. Sam Howell to me, BJ, is still my number one. I think what I think uh, what we forget about Sam Howell is what he's been doing since he's been at North Carolina. What I think he's what got well over, I think he has well over seventy, maybe almost eighty touchdowns already in his career. And what he did as a true freshman, uh, BJ, we can't over understatement. 38, 38 touchdowns, seven picks as a true freshman. I think thirty touchdowns and seven picks as a sophomore. Right now, I think he has like eighteen and I think like six. I do think Matt Corral is my number two. Matt Corral is a is a guy. You put him in the right system, he is going to be he is going to be lethal. Cause Lane Kiffin has a very very nice system. Make no mistake about it. Everybody that's in that Lane Kiffin Lane Kiffin system usually finds a way to have uh, big time success. Desmond Ritter to me is the wild card, but I have him at number three. I think that he's a guy that just he's a gamer. I mean, I really don't know how good of a player player excuse me he can be because of what he's doing in Cincinnati. I still like Spencer Rattler. I'm not going to just completely throw him away, BJ, because he isn't playing well. I remember him coming out of high school. And unfortunately, you know, uh, he's not going to be a guy that's going to say, hey, he's not going to be a Lincoln Riley uh, fan at this point because he got benched. And I'm going to go with Mr. Willis, obviously, number five in Liberty. But watch out for Sam Howell because make no mistake about it. Dual threat quarterbacks is what everybody wants. You know, you want you want a, you want a Matt Corral because he, he'll do a threat. But the reason why Tom Brady is the GOAT, because he can dance in that pocket. He's not going to run away from you. He's going to avoid the rush, and he's going to get the ball out. Sam Howell can make all the throws. And, what, 38-7 as a, as a true freshman, 30-7 and seven as a sophomore, I can live with those numbers. I mean, I don't trust players who don't throw picks because, to me, they're, they're too, they're too uh, careful, and they don't take chances. Taking chances means you're gonna throw some picks sometimes. So 38 and 7 and 30 and 7, what 18 and 6 thus far this year is probably on schedule again. BJ to have another what 30 touchdown plus season. Give me Sam Howell as my number one. All right, moving on to take three. Explain Bitcoin. I'm just kidding. Moving on, take three, Mike Tomlin. <laughs> <laughs> BJ was like, huh? He just like, you changed it up on me. Mike Tomlin had to say no. He's not interested in the Southern Cal job. I guess LSU uh, trying to throw his name out there as well, saying, look, no, I'm not not taking the college job. Which current NFL head coach, though, would be best for one of these high-profile college vacancies? Yeah, and we'll have to see how many of those jobs are open. Uh, I, I think I, a couple of guys come to mind. I, I, I do think Mike Tomlin would be great. Uh, Going to stay with Pittsburgh. Maybe Sean McVay. You know, when you think about um, being a real young guy, offensive, just just innovator in terms of coming up with great downfield passing schemes, that seems to be uh, kind of the the model for success for a lot of programs. Uh, I think you can make some comparisons, you know, with Lincoln Riley and look at what his offenses have done with the production, the team winning, uh, Heisman Trophy winners, things like that. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Kevin, I know you said in the show meeting, I'm going to go ahead and throw your answer out there because it was a good one. So said, Pete Carroll, why? Because you've already won national championships. <laughs> you know, there you, you did. Come back and, and uh, you know, come back and build another dynasty. But I think, I think Big Bay would be interesting just with his offenses. 
Ooh, I, I, I think Mike Vrabel would be really, really good in college. I think he could resonate uh, He could resonate with today's athlete. Plus, he's a hard-nosed coach that's very, very demanding, and usually those type of coaches get a lot of uh, great production. I think Coach Flores down there in Miami would be a, a good uh, a good college coach. I mean, I think sometimes the opportunity was there, but it's, it's, it's just the wrong venue. He should be a head coach. He just shouldn't be in the National Football League. He obviously wants to build his team around, you know, young, big, you know, big-arm quarterbacks that just ain't working out for him. Uh, in Miami and BJ, somebody I thought you would say. I think Coach Harbaugh, uh, well, the the, uh, the the other Coach Harbaugh, not the one that's already at Michigan, the brother in Baltimore. I think that the one thing about it is this: I look at how his team plays, and I look at what he says to the players when he's telling Lamar Jackson as a as a rookie, and hey, one day everybody's going to be wanting to be Lamar Jackson when you look at the way you play. The fact that I think it's important that we continue to have uh, the most uh, hundred yard rushing games in NFL history by by not needing by not uh, you know. Uh, getting down in, uh, in the victory formation. Those type of things players resonate with, and he seems to go to bat for his players. So, hey, I mean, uh, Mike Vrabel, Coach Flores, Coach Harbaugh, and BJ, you did say Riverboat Run. I, I don't know. I mean, it might be good, but then again, you know, you got to get these kids to listen to you. I don't – these young kids, not these young boys now, man, they want to – if they can't – you can't help them get to the league – because they're going to ask him, hey, man, why you do Cam like that? Well, you know, mm-mm. Can't trust him. <laughs> Listen, this, you went from Cam to, what, Helensky or whatever? Mm-mm. Can't trust those type of decisions. All right. <laughs> is, that what the, is, that, is, that, is that Riverboat Ron on a recruiting visit? Hey, I'd love for your son to come to school. Hey, man, why'd you do Cam like that? Well, I mean, well, that, Kevin, I mean, which, that, I mean, that's the first. <laughs> those, those, are the type of, those are the type of questions I supposed to come up. I mean, I mean, think about this. I mean, the best quarterback you've ever had, you went to the Super Bowl, you had Cam. Uh, Cam's available right now. Yeah, but we got Ryan Fitzpatrick. I can't live with those type of decisions. I can't live with a guy that's been on every team in the NFL. Very, very smart. I bet his credit card is through the roof. But <laughs> I want a guy that has 70 career rushing touchdowns. 70 career rushing touchdowns. And, uh, you know, I think he still got a lot of football left in him. Let's take three. We do it each and every day at this time. We'll come back. Game one draws ever closer. Charlie Morton going for the Braves. Fran Bravaldez for the Astros. We'll break it down. How important is game one to set the tone for the series? We'll break that down next here on 3 and Out. Good day. <laughs> Good to have you here on this uh, Tuesday. Kevin Bitt BJ. Braves game one. We were just comparing, you know, facial hair here on the show. Of course, I, the grand champion of facial hair, weighed in heavily. Look at that. Look at that. I need to get a comb. <laughs> that be that be please, uh, yeah, please, please get off the face you have it's the, it's the play- No, no, because there is a certain person on this show it's the that don't mind telling you he like as well, you know, I'm a man, so I can grow a beard. Yeah, so this, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, some people can grow a beard, some people can't. It uh, is what it is. <laughs> this is my playoff beard. Look at it. Okay. I mean, Kevin, would you ever? I mean, if that if that stuff would grow out, like you know, that little grassy knoll. Yeah, I did no shave November and had to extend it to December just to uh, to get it to grow in good. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> it wasn't really such a, much a joke as the truth. Sometimes the truth is bad, uh, Christian. Braves and Astros game one tonight. How important is it for the Braves to win game one? BJ Ben, in your in your estimation. I kind of look at it as a, you know, I look at a series in, in, in blocks. I think you need to win one of the first two, right? And they, they always say that about home field advantage. I, and, it, and, and it's not so much where the game is played. I think you have to maximize, uh, 
your best starting pitchers. And you're you're looking at Charlie Morton tonight, and then you have Max Fried in game two. And I don't know uh, if a bullpen game is in the future. Of course, Ian Anderson's out there. But uh, I do wonder, maybe with Kyle Wright in there, does that give you the versatility to have a multi-inning pitcher if you do need to go to a bullpen game? But I think you need to win one of the two games in the block where – your two best pitchers are out there. And that's with all due respect and appreciation for Ian Anderson. You know, Max Fried, I believe, is now in his mid to late 20s. Charlie Morton's 37 and has pitched in the World Series before. And like you said in the interview uh, uh, earlier with, with uh, Dan Matthews, Kevin, you didn't bring Charlie Morton in to go seven against the Marlins in August. I mean, you didn't. You brought Charlie Morton in because he's one of the most experienced postseason pitchers in Major League Baseball. He has over 80 now postseason innings, and that matters. And you know that the Astros are going to have good pitchers. You know that that they're going to have confidence in the guys they're running out there. But you brought Charlie Morton back to Atlanta to do this. Max Fried has been basically the ace for the Atlanta Braves. When you're the ace, you have to win. Uh, The team has to win when you're on the mound. So I don't know that it's necessarily tonight. It could be game two. But I think in order to win this series, I mean, I feel comfortable saying it, uh, saying it, in order to win this series, I think you need to get one of the first two. I think it's incredibly important for the Braves to come out and get game one, Kevin, because it eliminates doubt. I mean, this is this is the Braves haven't been here since 1999, and it's you look you look at the you look at the Braves Dodger series. The Braves already had experience of being up three one. They did it a year before. They look, man, we know what it's going to take in order to put this team away. And it's like it's like what Dan Matthews said. They've been really really good at home. You talking about you talk about a team in Houston that has a lot of doubt outside of you know I mean because they trying to they trying to get over the hump and saying look we don't need to cheat to win if the Braves come out and win game one that makes them press in game two so the Braves need game one to be able to say all right man now we can breathe a little bit because you know sports is one of those things where until you've done it in that sport you know you have a lot of doubt like I'm here but we got to win here to say okay man we don't want to just be a team that's here so Braves get game one if you know. It forces, uh, it forces Houston to kind of press a little bit because, let's face it, the Braves are dangerous, extremely dangerous. They go out there and win game one. Now they got a little cushion, you know, a little bit, Kevin, you know, coming back to Truist. And I think that, you know, when you think about this Braves team, is no matter what people say, you're going to say all the right things. But deep down inside, you have to prove it to yourself, man. We got to go out here and get a game from these Houston. We got to show Houston that they in, they in for a dogfight. Like, see, they, we ain't going to just lay down – uh, for these dudes, and we ain't just happy to finally get over the hump because we are ahead of schedule in year four under Snit and Anthopolis. So get game one, you know, uh, force Houston to show you how good of a team they are because that's what they did two years ago against the Dodgers. And maybe if they get game one, Kevin, I know people saying, oh, I don't expect the Braves to get swept. Who says that the Braves get game one? They don't find a way to, you know, sweep these. I, I'm not saying this gonna happen but look you can't get can't win game two till you win game one so I, I in my in my opinion go out there and get the first game force Houston to show you how good of a team they are and again I think it's uh it's playoff baseball so unique because as I've said a number of times it's played so much differently than regular season baseball and I know you talked about setting the tone I I don't know if there is a set the tone game I think it's more like Ben said it's like put the belief out there that you can get it done I think in especially in the World Series it's game by game I mean, we've seen situations where teams are up two games to none, lose. Team Braves are up three games to one against the Dodgers last year. Didn't get it done. So I think it's a game-by-game situation. This is the true definition of you're only as good as the next day's pitching, uh, and I think that's going to be this series. Look at what the Astros did to 
the Red Sox in their series, bludgeoned the baseball, a lot of seven, eight, nine run ball game looking type stuff uh, out there. The Braves are capable of doing that uh, as well. So I think it's important not to panic if you give up runs because the Astros can score and you can score. And I think you look at the Braves lineup tonight, Jorge Soler back in there as the DH. Uh, there's not a there's not a soft out anywhere in either one of these lineups. And you wouldn't expect there to be. That's why you're in the World Series. Uh, so, look, go out there and play with confidence. I, I agree, BJ. Charlie Morton, you'd like to win his start. Why? Because the pitching matchup favors you tonight in, in this situation. You don't have Lance McCullers. Uh, if you are Houston, you're going with Fran Bravaldez making his first World Series start. And, again, I don't care who you are. I'll feel just as nervous about Max Fried and Ian Anderson when it's their turn to make their first World Series start. It's the freaking World Series. Like, these guys have dreamt of this since they were playing Little League Baseball, since they were playing high school baseball, since they were minor league baseball. Dude, what would it be like if they give me the ball on the bump in the World Series? Well, you're about to see what happens. Charlie Morton's been there already. So he should have some, some, some of that nerve advantage where he's kind of more settled in and Framber Valdez making his first World Series start tonight. So I do think it's important to get off to a good start and take advantage of what potential jitters uh, there might be. Again, there's a lot of guys on this Braves roster. First time ever in a World Series. Got to settle down a little bit here in, in Game 1. So uh, I, I think survive that initial, oh my goodness, we're in the World Series. Settle down and play and trust the guy that's on the hill for you, Charlie Morton, tonight. That's another shirt, Christian. Christian's been saying he's going to get shirts made of the things that are said on the air. Kevin, with the breaking news, it's the freaking World Series. <laughs> I mean, would you not buy that shirt? Of course you would buy that shirt. But no, I do think Morton, Morton gives you an advantage. Yes, Ben, you said it. Until you've done it on this stage or in this spotlight, there's going to be at least a hint of uncertainty. It's going to be there. And I, I think what Charlie Morton has done has been great. I mean, he was instrumental in the Braves' run to finish the regular season and win the NL East. He's been great in the playoffs. But if you're being honest, for a team that was a game away from the World Series, mere outs away from the World Series last year, the reason you went out and got a Charlie Morton, and you have the depth in your farm system, the Braves could have just promoted from within and still had a very good rotation. But the reason you went out and said, no, we need to spend money to get a veteran is for nights like this. And you may say, well, did the Braves expect to be in the World Series? Yes. You were three, four, five, six outs away from being in the World Series last year. And remember, your rotation for much of last season was a real work in progress. I mean, you were limited with what you were doing. And you look at your team and you, and you did a self-scouting report and said, okay, where do we need to get better? Where do we need to add guys who have played for a decade and a half? And the answer was, we need an ace. And that, did, that doesn't mean you didn't believe in Max Fried or, 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 or Mike Soroka, but it meant you needed somebody who had been there in this moment, on this stage. Charlie Morton was brought to Atlanta for this. I think he knows that, and I think he, I think he pitches well tonight. If, if, one, if, one of the, uh, if one of the headlines coming out of Houston, if Houston is not Houston, we have a problem, it's the Braves, it's, it's, it's going to be a long series, Kevin, because think about this. I know, I know when it comes to sports, I've never played in no, in no uh, Super Bowl. I've never played in a national championship game. I was blessed enough to play in the playoffs. You know, you're going through the week and all these different things or whatever, and you all nervous, and then you got, you got teammates saying, dude, what's wrong with you? You know, this, this goes back to the offseason. It's like we're doing what we set out to do. Most players and teams will never set out to do what they should do. BJ, you talk about they was six hours away from being in the World Series a year ago. So if the Braves come out and dominate Houston, that's Houston's problem. 
No one, it's not the Braves' chance to go out there and say, hey, man, let's, let's, let's take it easy on these guys. No, no. Mike Trout has been to the playoffs one time, and he is considered the best player in baseball. You don't want that to be your legacy. Freddie Freeman said it ain't really hit me yet that I'm, that I'm, that I'm in the World Series. Somebody should have slapped him in the face of baby powder. Do, do, do you see it now? We're here. <laughs> let's go because if you come in with this wide-eyed, oh, my goodness, we in, we in the World Series, you will get beat. You got to normalize this thing. The hardest thing to do in football is uh, – in sports, I'm sorry – is to normalize situations you've never been in. You got to normalize it as soon as possible. And the quicker the break, the sooner the Braves can get comfortable and normalize it, I think the better team they are because, Kevin, I respect Houston, but it ain't like Houston ain't playing against the best team in the National League in 2021. Go out there, be yourself, jump on them game one because the Braves go up 1-0 – Watch what it does to them Houston guys. They gonna say all the right things in the post game press conferences, but don't. But in that locker room, they like, dude, what? What is? Well, I told you not to pitch the freaking Rosario. <laughs> don't pitch to him. Well, I think that's a, a lot of it. Uh, what people say, you've heard them say, hey, in the Super Bowl was like, hey, I was kind of nervous until that first guy hit me, right? Until uh, then, I kind of settled down. I think for for Atlanta, you might have some of that nervousness until hopefully it's in the first inning tonight. Until that first guy gets a hit. Until that first guy maybe hits one off the wall and you get a big double, and then you're like, okay. We're here. Let's play. And I think the the sooner that would be my one concern for the Braves. And you kind of mentioned it back in the, the first hour, Ben. Of don't be happy just to be there. And I think that's part of the getting comfortable, getting settled in. It's like, look, we are here. Let's go play, and not be bright eyed into the whole situation where you're like, oh my gosh, we're in the World Series. I can't make a mistake, or it's going to be magnified a hundred times over. No, go out, play your game. That's what got you there, and love what Jock Peterson put in the Players' Tribune today. We just might be the blankety-blanks to go out and get this thing done. And I hope that attitude kind of prevails uh, through that locker room uh, with the Braves here in this series with Houston. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Also, Georgia-Florida coming up this weekend. We'll hear from Terrence Edwards in the final hour. And when we come back, Brandon Seiler, former Gators All-American linebacker, will join us when we return here on 3 and Out. This weekend, in Jacksonville, and my next guest knows all about, you know, cracking heads when it comes to that linebacker position. A seventh-round pick by the San Diego Chargers also played for them Kansas City Chiefs, second-team All-SEC, third-team All-America, SEC champion, BCS national champion, the great Brandon Siler. What's up with you today, B. Siler? How you doing? How you doing? Now, now B. Siler, man, you know going into this game, you know, you know how it is being a Florida boy, understanding how big this Florida-Georgia game is. doesn't matter the records. doesn't matter what has happened to this point. This game kind of dictates what happens moving forward. What do you like the most about this uh, this Florida Gator defense, man, even though they didn't didn't have their best showing against LSU? Well, I mean, anytime you got Florida-Georgia, you know, our boys going to get ready and they're going to they gonna be ready to play. Uh, you know, we done had unfortunate losses this year, but uh, we done show great signs of being a great team. Um, and I think, you know, Georgia better not take us uh, lightly by any sense just because of their record because, you know, it's Florida, Georgia. We're going to be coming to play. And, again, Brandon, you look at uh, this Florida defense against Georgia's offense. I know Georgia's been getting it done with uh, a lot of de- a lot of defensive play, but is it is it on uh, the Florida defense to keep them in the game this weekend? Yeah, always. they got to start on defense. You know, you got to get up. you got to get, get off the field and get the uh, – Offense on the field uh, as much as you can, man. You got you got to come up with some stops. Uh, and I think the big thing here and the difference maker is going to be if we can get a couple turnovers and we can get some turnovers and put our offense in a good uh, in good field position. I think that'll really uh, and try to do it early. And that'll really like change the momentum of the game and 
and the outcome of the game. Uh, Brandon, you obviously won a national championship at Florida, had uh, 20 total tackles in three games against Georgia along the way. When you look back at your career in the Florida-Georgia game, what stands out to you? Uh, oh, Florida-Georgia was like uh, it was the one game that they tried to play me at uh, outside linebacker. Uh, they uh, Cheddar didn't play, and they tried to uh, – Teach me the outside linebacker position, uh, warm ups of that game. Got beat for a touchdown <laughs> uh, on a post corner because they ran a fake right at me, and I was seven yards in the backfield. So uh, I think that Florida Georgia game. I always remember that about that game because it was such a big game for us to try to try to teach me how to play a whole new position. Uh, and they very quickly moved me back on the inside where I belonged, and uh, <laughs> and, and and we was able to play, and, and I think come up with a win that year. And Bisala, what, what's your what's the mindset though? You you play the linebacker position, man. I mean, you the guy, you got you you are the enforcer on the defense. I mean, I understand that them DBs got to deal with the receivers, but you deal with the line. I mean, you deal with the with the offensive line. You know, you deal with the quarterback, and obviously them running backs want problems when they come up in them holes with you and the likes of B-Sykes and those guys. What is your mindset knowing that, look, man, I know I've, you know, imposed my will before I got to Jacksonville, but I got to let this entire Georgia offense know they got to deal with 40 today. It's always a seek and destroy type of mentality, man. I mean, if you ain't in the middle, if you're in the middle of that defense and you don't strike no fear to nobody, then you really ain't playing linebacker in the right way. You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to be out there hunting them up. You know, every time that they touch that ball, you know, uh, it just goes back to the to the same phase. Like my godmama says, uh, find the man with the ball and knock his ass out. That's pretty much our game plan every week. You know what I'm saying? When it comes from a linebacker and our mentality standpoint. Brandon Silas, Jordan is here on three and out, and this game is so different from a momentum standpoint. Where if you're in the swamp, obviously you got a big crowd behind you. If you're on the road, you got a big crowd against you. How does that play that factor of momentum and 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 turning the tide in a game like this come into play when it's right down the middle uh, in terms of people who are for you and against you? Man, it, it's I mean that place is probably one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, uh, and I've ever seen is having that that sea of orange and blue and then that ugly red and black on the other side and it split right down the middle uh, of the goalpost. That's just kind of crazy, man. When I first seen it, it was incredible uh, walking out on that field and having that energy because you know that at any given time, you can get your side going and, and, and also at the same time, you can put their fans and put a, a sad face on their fans' uh, face at the same time. So, Playing in an environment like that is definitely different than playing in anything else. Uh, the Swamp is the most incredible place to play, but this this right behind it, uh, as far as the environment standpoint, one of the craziest environments I've ever been in. People always talk about, uh, Brandon, the familiarity between the rosters. You know, the, a lot of guys from Florida go to Georgia, Georgia go to Florida, and guys go on recruiting visits together. Did you have? Did you know a lot of the guys that uh, that, that, that played for Georgia when you were at Florida? Uh, yeah, you get recruited with them guys. You go on business with them guys. Uh, some of those guys, you know, are from Florida and, and you played against in high school. So you can always have uh, a roster where you can, where you're going to be familiar with guys on the other side. Uh, that makes it even a little bit more special that you do have guys that you know because you want to beat them. 
And be silent, man. I mean, you you talked about it before. I mean, the, the mentality it takes to play, you know, defense with Florida. The mentality it takes, uh, you know, to play linebacker at Florida. But you you said something that I think a lot of people don't get. You said if I don't strike fear in that offense, man, I'm I'm you know I'm at the wrong spot. When did you know that you looking at a Georgia offense? You were like, look, man, this running back don't want to deal with me, man. And and I always ask is what would what would Brandon Siler rather do? Pick six for a touchdown or it's fourth and one? And you meet that you meet that running back in the hole, and it's you and him. Uh, well, that's that's two difficult questions right there. I like to want to have them all in one game, but the fourth and one kind of is a statement on what linebacker is supposed to be about. You know, it's about seeking destroy. It's about hunting the guy down. It's about striking good talking. It's about all of that. You know, if you get that out of your linebacker spot, then it brings the rest of the team up. Uh, pick sixes uh, because it's important, right? to turn over the ball, and, and, and it's always big for defense to put some points on the board. Um, that part of it is exciting, too, you know. Um, but I think at the end of the day, physicality and the physicalness is the part that you, you love the most, playing middle linebacker anyway. So what do you think is going to be the biggest key on uh, on on Saturday for the Gators? A lot of people are saying, look, Georgia's a two-touchdown favorite. I know you guys don't feel that way. What's going to be the biggest key for Florida? Well, like I said, I think the defense got to make some stops and got to make some turnovers and put our offense in good field position. Um, there's probably going to be some point here uh, in this game where special teams is going to make a difference, and that's got to be making a difference on our side if we expect to win this game. Georgia's a good team, and I think they look better this year than uh, I've seen Georgia in a long time. Um, I think they're one of the best teams in the country. But we are the University of Florida. You know, we ain't no, we ain't never no walk in the park. And we, we always going to expect, and, and I get the standard is that we always finish up top or, or uh, in the top ten, uh, competing for a national championship. So uh, when it comes to us facing them, I think it's going to be a great matchup. Two touchdown difference is just ridiculous. Um and, and and doesn't even really make sense because this is the University of Florida we talk about. There ain't no two touchdown favorite against us nowhere in the country. Seventh round pick, SEC champion, national champion. The great Brandon Siler joins us today on three and I'll be silent, man. I appreciate you taking the time, my guy. Oh, uh, no problem, man. Okay, this baby. Good to have you back here on Three and Out. Kevin BJ and Ben will hear uh from Terrence Edwards coming up in the final hour of the program. Also, we'll hear from Buck Blue as well. And uh, I did want to hit this before we uh, we go to the final hour because, you know, we, we talk a lot about karma and curses and things of that, that nature on the show. And apparently, there was a little bit of a, a story that happened today, BJ. Share, share that with us. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it, it was really special. So, me... Uh, Ben and Christian were all were all sitting in kind of the multi-purpose room as it's become, and and we're talking, we're discussing, talking about show topics. All of a sudden, this is this is before second down. Christian spins around in his chair. He's got one of those nice, luxurious kind of CEO chairs, and he has a piece of trash, like a piece of paper, crumpled up in his hand. And he turns around and he goes, "If I make this, George is going to win." And he's like, "I don't know, eight feet away." And keep in mind that you know the trash can is like is like four feet wide, and he has a piece of paper that, that, that he's holding in his hand. He shoots it and front rims it. That would be a miss. Hits the front of the trash can, <laughs> crumbles down, rolls out into the floor, and he looked at Ben and I and just said, yep, 
Yep. Yep. Well, you called it. You said if Georgia, if you make this Georgia wins, yeah. but here's what I'm asking. Does that mean the opposite is true? Is Does the no. reciprocal work? I never, I never said if I miss, Georgia loses. You're, you're completely missing it. But that's not even the main point. The main point is you said I have a very nice, luxurious chair. I did have a very nice and luxurious chair. If we want to talk about the real story, here's what happened today. Kevin has destroyed my chair by just lounging in it. He doesn't sit in my chair. Kevin lays in my chair, like full body weight, lean back. And today he took it one step forward by putting his feet on my desk. Yep. Trying to help you. And, out. My, feet, and my feet, you don't mean shoes. No, you mean I mean, Kevin had his bare feet on my desk, kicked back into my now ripped office chair. It's fine. From putting his big old behind in it and leaning back. Chris is just doing everything he can to try to break false curses. No, we, no, we He's have. over there calling bank shots Kevin, into I the thought, trash can. Wait, 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 Christian today were... ate, a, ate a, uh, at an establishment that he discourages me from eating at yeah, uh, quite often. I don't often. care about you. I don't care and, about uh, myself. <laughs> uh, no, it's... I thought you were ain't no curses, Kevin. So why are there you isn't so any? I'm just I'm 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 just oh, laughing okay. because right. you are the guy that is like I'm afraid to mess with karma, and then you're in there casually calling Georgia wins if I hit this. Well, no, I was just like, I can guarantee it. I can guarantee it if I hit that shot. Now I don't know. Now it's up in the air. All right, and 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 that was a really unique moment because there was kind of a casual confidence to Christian. He just kind of turned around and said, "If I make this, Georgia wins." Like kind of yep. inferring, expecting, and then he front rims it. But I do appreciate Christian's turn of the conversation here because I have to ask, what made you think it was okay to sit in his chair, or as he describes it, lounge in his chair and put your bare feet on his desk? That's what I do. <laughs> what does that mean? Do you do this to other people? Of course. Who? Everybody. <laughs> so I know Ben's if you had done to a former one of our employees, you may not be with us right now. Who's that? You Cody. Had to tell me you had to tell, tell me off air. <laughs> Cody. Cody would disappear you. Cody, I've put my feet on your desk before. No, you haven't. I you ain't know? crossing that line. Okay. He ain't here anymore. You put your bare feet on his desk too? My heel. I don't know if my, my bare feet, my, my heel. Sorry. Your heel is part of your foot. See, I, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar. I do this thing every day. It's called shower. And I, I scrub down. It's like, you know, it's, it's fine. Well, all, that right. Would all right, BJ. So what I'm getting, no, BJ. <laughs> I mean, what I'm getting from this is we need to go over to Kevin's house and just put our feet on stuff. I'm sure Amy would be fine well, I mean, with look, that. Look, look. Go ahead. He doesn't. Wa- he doesn't wash his hands. That's been well established for a couple of years now. But we, yeah, okay. What, Ben? 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 Listen, listen. Let me tell y'all what y'all really need to know. There are certain people in his life. You better not say nothing. You better not do nothing in front of them because it's not only going to come out. It's going to come out for everybody to hear, and okay, that is no, BJ. No, no. Is it okay to put your bare feet on another co-worker's desk? I mean, no and yes, because no, no. listen, no, you shouldn't, but yes, because Kevin's going to, you know Kevin's going to, if Kevin wasn't thinking about doing it, because you say you shouldn't do it, he's probably wiggling his toes right now, getting ready <laughs> for the break to go out there and do it right now. So listen, Kevin's going to go in, sit at Christian's desk, put his feet up, wiggle his toes, and look at you and say, would you say something? Did you did you say something over there? What? I'm actually trying to think of a desk in this office that my feet probably haven't been on at some point. Listen, that sign that says no shoes, no shirt, no service, that is Kevin. <laughs> that, that is for Kevin. Okay. I'm just saying. Uh, 
BJ, you go, BJ, you gonna have to put your feet on Kevin's ass. Where's the Lysol? Christian, get the Lysol. We'll come back. We'll come back to Terrence Edwards in the final hour. We're for Puck Baloo as well as three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. <laughs> Good to have you here. Hour number three here. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, and Ben Troop will hear from Terrence Edwards this hour. Former George Bulldog wide receiver. Also uh, Buck Baloo uh, this hour as well. And we are now... Uh, guys, just under three hours to go until game one tonight of the World Series. Charlie Morton, Framber Valdez will be uh, your pitching matchup. Terrence Gore, Kyle Wright have been put on the World Series roster. Johan Camargo and Jacob Webb are off the World Series roster. And the Braves, again, in the World Series for the first time since 1999. We went back and looked to see how much playoff or World Series experience, rather, do the Braves actually have. Jock Peterson, of course, with the Dodgers, BJ. Charlie Morton with the Rays. Travis Darnot with the 2015 Mets. And Jorge Soler didn't get a lot of playing time, but was on the 2016 Cubs. So uh, you have a very, very small amount of World Series experience on this roster coming into tonight's ballgame. Yeah, you have some, and and I think most prominently with your starting pitcher, and I do think that's a that's an advantage for Atlanta to have a guy that's 37 years old, has been pitching great, and has been in the World Series before. I think that helps. But a lot of storylines, right? The pitching matchups, uh, you know, the lineup with with Solaire leading off. I think Rosario down in down at number five. Uh, you think about the legacy of Freddie Freeman. You think about how do you use Tyler Matzik. A lot of stuff I want to get to, want to discuss here. But Kevin, I have to ask you this first, Ben. Are you going to be able to stay awake for the whole game? I think that's that's a really important distinction we need to admit to and, and, and jump into here right away. Are you good for a full nine innings tonight? Absolutely. Absolutely not. Listen, listen, BJ, you know what I do better than anybody else. My body finds a way to wake itself up right when the game is over. I go straight to YouTube. I go straight to the highlights. And it, listen, cut out all the commercial breaks, BJ. And I go, listen, you get right to the theater, and I get to go right to it. But this, this first thing I do, you know, Turn on the phone, go to the app. I, I go like this. I kind of like, uh, oh, they get game one. Then I know what kind of mood, BJ, I need to be in when I do watch the highlights. Because if it's game one loss, BJ, I'm going to blame it on the fact that, you know, you're not your regular, you know, you know, uh, just, you know, pessimistic stuff. Like, just, I mean, I want to make sure that you, cause BJ, are you nervous? I mean, I will say this. And when I came in this morning, and somebody was late to pick me up, and I was waiting out in the parking lot uh, with Kevin. It was a nice, it was a nice, it was a nice day this morning. Once, once yeah, again, once saying, again, just, 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 just to tell the listeners again, nothing can happen behind the scenes without what? BJ. No, I'm setting the scene. I'm setting the scene. I was on time for for something, and I was waiting on somebody to get there. So Kevin, of course, gets to work super early before everybody else. So I'm sitting there talking with Kevin. And I'm like, I don't know why this person's so late. Like, they're super late. But then Kevin says, hey, man, I feel really good about tonight. I said, really? Because, you know, normally Kevin's kind of, eh, you know, e- either or in between. You said, no, I feel good about tonight. And because he said that, like, first thing in the morning, you know, the you know the sun was kind of set- settling, not setting, settling. The sky was kind of clear and anew. And there was this, like, optimism in the air. And then Kevin came in with the affirmation and said, I'm feeling good about tonight, my normal angst is not there. I'm not saying I feel good, but I don't feel bad because of Kevin's words <laughs> wait, in wait, the wait, moment wait, wait. this morning. You know, you don't feel good, but you don't feel bad. Now, do you not? You don't feel bad because of what Kevin – are you used to Kevin 
you know, being that like, you know, optimistic, you know, that early in the morning about what he does. I don't know, this is what I'm saying. There was just, you, you know, you can tell when someone comes up to you and goes, hey, feel good about the game this weekend. Like, like some Gator fans may be saying that, right? Like, hey, I feel good about the game this week. Do you? I'm just asking. So what I'm saying is Kevin was authentic. And there was there was kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a crisp bite in the air. You know, a lot of people were on time for what they were supposed to do. Some other people weren't. And then I looked over at Kevin, and kind of in that setting, he just looked at me, and he had this glow, and he had kind of this aura, and he said, look, I feel good about it. So, I, look, I'm a naturally pessimistic person, but Kevin's confidence is giving me confidence. Is that is that fair to say? Whoa, well, I mean, no, no. When, when the last time has this happened for you, though? Like, Kevin's confidence gave you confidence. When the last 95, time was that happened? 95. Actually, before the 95 series, Kevin texted we, we me. We didn't even know each other. There was yeah, no text I, I, messages. I feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin sent me a telegram before the 95 series and he said, I feel really good. Now, now, BJ, today was today was your type of day. You know, it's kind of like overcast a little bit. No, I think that was yesterday. Kind of overcast. Kevin comes out today. He's confident. I think Kevin was going to put some cheese in the bank. You know how Kevin do. Kevin, when Kevin walked in the bank, people like gas. Like, oh, my Lord. Watch how much money this dude put in the bank. I'm trying to tell you. That's Kevin Thomas right there. Mr. Got money so tall, everybody going to fall. No. <laughs> I am confident. I'm confident, BJ, because the Braves are one of the best teams in baseball. There are listen. There are 28 other teams watching the Braves get ready to play them Houston Astros. I am confident because I watched a team have an unconventional way of winning without Ronald Cunha Jr. and they found a way without without Marcelo Zuna, and they found a way with the new additions. With I mean. BJ, Kevin was telling you, you better get up off Snit. Do not, do not question, because whatever Snit has or hasn't done has got us to this point. So look, I am confident when Kevin is confident. When Kevin comes to you, say, hey man, I feel good about them Braves today. You could have messed that up, BJ, with, well, you know, don't, 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 don't give me keep it positive. We're not saying anything too complimentary because there are no curses. But too much complimentary talk. It's not always the best thing for a team because, you know, somebody had the nerve to ask me, hey, man, you always wear Braves. Are you a Braves fan? I'm like, that's ridiculous. What kind of – what kind of – absolutely. Been a Braves fan before I even knew what them Bravos were. So to my grandfather who's looking down right now, Granddaddy, this is for you, and hopefully we go out there and get that, you know, get that World Series. And, yes, I am saying we and not them. <laughs> this is for the ATL. Just saying. It is for it is for Braves. No, but look, I do. Like I said, I I feel like there should be an air of confidence about this baseball team because they've played really, really well, and it's not just been one guy or two guys carrying the team. It's been a collective effort, and that is unbelievable. I mean, you go back and look at the uh, the, the teams of the '90s, and it was Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, and you kind of hoped you hit enough to win, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the way the Braves played in the 90s was, look, we're going to bludgeon you with starting pitching, and if you happen to score three or four runs, we might not be able to score that many. It's not the case with this team. This team is able to score runs. This team does not give you an out in the lineup where you say, yeah, we can kind of try to get out of the inning here. They don't do that. Go back and think of some of those Braves. And this is no disrespect to those guys. It's just a different way the game is played. But you go through your Raphael Belliards and some guys like that in the lineup where you say, okay, they're maybe not the best hitting guys on the roster. Now you have guys that if you make a mistake can hit it out. Raphael Belliard was not going to take you deep. Certain guys in the Braves lineups of years past were not going to take you deep. 
Name me a guy in tonight's lineup who can't take you deep if you hang one. Yeah, what's interesting? I'm, seri- about I'm serious. Is, is, is if you think about it from a purely stat standpoint, right? I think the answer is probably Travis Darno. And what's interesting is when he's been healthy, he's been one of the best power hitters at the catcher position in all of baseball. I mean, it's a great point. Yeah, so I mean, so the lineup is good. I think the starting pitching for the Braves is good. And I think we'll, we'll see Max Fried bounce back. And, and again, maybe it's I'm, I'm looking at it and say, look, you pitched well all season, for the, or late down the stretch especially. You pitched well in the postseason except for the Dodgers series, which you're a California native and an L.A. native. Luke Jackson pitched really well for you all season long except against the Dodgers. I think there's, there's reason to believe that this team can go toe-to-toe with the Astros and should enter this season or this series confident. I, and again, I don't. if you're a Braves fan, you shouldn't enter this any other way uh, than confident. You have a team that is good, that has been the best in the majors, not the best in the National League. They have been the best team in Major League Baseball since the trade deadline in terms of their record. They are a good collection of players. They are a good team. They are a solid team. They have a lot of fun, and they can go out and do it in a number of ways. It's not just, oh, if our pitching's off, we can't win. Nope, can do it. If our hitting's off, we can't win. Incorrect. You can win that way. You can win a number of different ways with this Braves team. I don't know that that was always the case with some of those teams in the 90s. You really relied on Smoltz, Maddox, and Glavin to go out there and get the job done. And if you had an off series from Andrew Jones and Chipper Jones, your offense was probably going to struggle. Look. Freddie Freeman can have a tough series, and the Braves can still win. He was 0 for 8 with seven strikeouts, and the Braves were still winning games. In other years, you may not have been able to say that. So if you're a Braves fan, confidence in what this team can do. Now, there's a difference in being confident and going out there and saying something stupid like, oh, the Braves are going to win it. It's not, no, but you should be confident. That's why I say I feel good. I don't enter this thing going, man, it's just I, 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 I think they kind of backdoored their way in there, don't really like the way they play. It's just a bad matchup. No, this is a good matchup. You're going to beat another good team. You have a good team, a team that can hit the baseball up, all up and down the lineup. I don't feel like you're ever out of a game because of that. We've seen the Braves kind of rekindle some of that late-inning magic here in the last month or so of the season. That's what's made them a special team. And I think you should be excited about watching this game tonight, uh, again, with the way the players are feeling. Again, if you want to get pumped up, just go read Jock Peterson's article in the Players' Tribune. That'll pump you up, big time get you ready to go uh, for the World Series tonight and believe that they can do it. I think, obviously, uh, people are going to talk about Tyler Matzik, BJ, and the role of this bullpen. But, again, uh, you said, where do you use Tyler Matzik? Tyler Matzik is your high-leverage guy. Not your closer, but is I've said this a number of times. Sometimes the most important outs you see in a baseball game are not in the ninth inning. And we saw that from Tyler Matzik in the Dodgers series. Yeah, and I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of when he's called upon because he has just an amazing uh, combination of, of attitude and stuff. And you saw that on display uh, in the in the clinching win over L.A. where he came out not only in a difficult spot, but with Mookie Betts and Albert Pujols coming up and went right after those guys. I mean, Kevin, I think there's been – I think there's kind of some flexibility with Matzik where you know where you're going in the ninth, you know that that, that that Will Smith is the guy, and as we've talked about this week and last week, he's been great in the postseason. And give him that credit. He's earned it. He's been great, has not walked people, has come after hitters. He's been great in the postseason. But I do think you have a little flexibility with how you want to use Tyler Matzik, Luke Jackson. I think you want to run Luke out there. I do, because you don't want him to kind of sit in that 
uh, frustration of his last performance. He's been really good this year. Get him out there. Let him have that confidence. But I think you could run Matic out as a, as a setup guy. You could run Matic out situationally in the sixth or seventh if there's runners on. So I think you have a great luxury in that Tyler Matic, who might be one of the players to watch overall in the whole series, can come out and do a number of different uh, things for you. Magic is definitely your ace in the hole. BJ Mentor has looked good. I know Luke Jackson didn't have his best performance, but it gives me more confidence as a player when I don't have to be at my best when my teammates are going to pick me up. That's what teammates are for, to pick you up when you're not having your best. And we're not talking about Will Smith enough. I'm telling you, once again, I go back to what Kevin Thomas said. This is what they, this is what they got him for, for the postseason. And something that Kevin said that I think needs to be stressed more. With this Braves lineup, you make a mistake, they will make you pay. And there's a lot of guys that can make you pay. And to me, that's what should give, you know, well, that's what you give this starting pitcher and this bullpen a lot of, you know, I mean, a lot of confidence knowing that, look, you're going to have a lineup that's going to do their part. And I know what, was it two years ago, Kevin, they was the best late-inning team in baseball. They've kind of been showing that now, you know, in the postseason. I don't like the late-game heroics. I can live with them. But I think that this lineup is going to do their part. I think this defense is going to do their part. And, hey, I like BJ. It's not a lot of times we say we feel good about the Braves bullpen, not just certain guys in it. Luke Jackson going to have to redeem himself. We talk about Magic now. Who knows? Luke Jackson could be the talk of this World Series, depending on how he rebounds. Uh, certainly. And again, for uh, just n- case in point and a notes uh, situation, game one tonight, the Braves did, uh, according to Brian Sticker, this is from Jeff Schultz with The Athletic, the Braves did bring Ronald Acuna Jr., Mike Soroka, and Stephen Vogt on the trip to uh, Houston. Brian Sticker saying he wanted them to experience uh, this. So you will have that emotional lift to the dugout with uh, Ronald Acuna and others cheering you on right there in Houston. We've got so much to get to here in the final hour of the program. We're talking Georgia, Florida. When we come back, Terrence Edwards uh, will join us. We'll also hear from Buck Ballou uh, coming up. And he's certainly no one better to talk to about Georgia, Florida than Buck Ballou. Uh, we'll hear from him coming up in just a little bit. It's three and out of the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. <laughs> 